Psalm 81. I've prepared 81 and 82 and 83. 82 is very short, only eight verses, and we'll see how far we get. But Psalm 81, this is congregational singing and uh, how the congregation should sing. It says, Sing aloud unto God, our strength. It says, Make a joyful noise unto the God of Jacob. Now, the word here says, Sing aloud. God wants to be, He wants us to sing uh, with zeal and zest and sing aloud. And it says, Make a joyful noise unto the God of Jacob. And a joyful noise is acceptable if it's done in the right spirit. There are some noises that are spoken of in the Bible and in the Psalms. And by the way, you have to let the Holy Spirit lead you in each and every incident. It says in Psalm 47, let me give you this one. Psalm 47, verse 1, O clap your hands, all ye people, shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Now, in this sense, it doesn't mean that every moment of the time you're to do that is every is every time you would sing because there's certain times that you have all these noises that are acceptable to God if they're, if they're done in the right spirit and at the right time I've seen the well like usually we have give a, a little applause to some that sing a special and I've seen some specials that I just assumed they wouldn't give an applause because it leaves there's a spirit of of solemnity and you know I'm just trying to get you to let the Holy Spirit lead you in these things because sometimes the song is so spiritual and of such a nature I just feel like going right ahead with something else and into the service. And so don't let me try to uh, say that you shouldn't or should, but uh, definitely let, let us let the Holy Spirit lead us in these things. But it says in Psalm uh, 81, uh, verse 1, Sing aloud unto uh, God, our strength and make a joyful noise unto the God of Jacob. In other words, select an appropriate psalm or song too. It says in verse 2, take a psalm and bring hither the timbrel and the pleasant harp with the psaltery. So there's certain musical instruments is spoken of. And we need to select an appropriate psalm or song. It's not just what happens to come in mind because uh, the song leader and pianist and those that are involved in the song service need to pick out things that they feel are spiritual in nature. And here it speaks of the various instruments. And, and of course, in verse 4, uh, verse 3, it says, At the appointed time, blow ye the trumpet in the new moon in the time appointed. There's appointed times for things on our solemn feast day. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 5, let me give you this. In verse uh, 19, it says, well, let's read verse 18 because it connects it with it. It says, Be not drunk with wine where it is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, notice this. Be filled with the Spirit. And what do you do as a result of being filled with the Spirit? It says, Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and making melody in your heart to the Lord. And it says, Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then verse 21 says, Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Did you notice that if you have that passage, and uh, if you don't have it, I'll still teach it so that you can understand it. Verse 18, it says, Be not drunk with wine where it is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. And it's not the end of the sentence. There's a semicolon there. And be filled with the Spirit. It says, Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. Another semicolon. Did I say Ephesians 5, verse 19? Did I give you uh, verse 18? I'll give you the correct passage. Okay. 
Uh, and then in verse 20 it says, Giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Another semicolon. And then it says in verse 21, Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Period. So to be filled with the Spirit, we need to be joyful, singing psalms. We need to be thankful to God. And we need to be submissive. There's a wonderful lesson in that. It says, Be you filled with the Spirit, singing these psalms, giving thanks to God, and then submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. So, Spirit-filled people sing praises to God, and they also give thanks to God, and they also are submissive one to another. That means we're not uh, uh, lifted up with pride. We can be submissive one to another. That's Spirit-filled. You study the context. Back in our psalm now, and let's notice verse uh, uh, 3, verse 4 rather. For this was a statute for Israel and a law of the God of Jacob. You have Psalm 81, verse 4. In other words, public praise is according to divine decree. It says this is a law. This is statute and a law of God for Jacob. This that he's just spoken of, singing praises to God, taking the psalms, taking the musical instruments, and also blowing the trumpet in in an appointed time. And it says this is a statute, verse 4, for Israel and a law of the God of Jacob, meaning that, that it is uh, a divine decree. Jesus said, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and Him only shalt thou serve. So Jesus uh, declared from the book of Deuteronomy and His great temptation with Satan, He told him, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God. That this was what God decreed, is that worship be given to Him. Now in verse 5 you have the purpose of divine worship. This he ordained in Joseph for a testimony. What is the purpose of worship? For a testimony. When he went out through the land of Egypt, we'll read the rest of it in a minute. The purpose. The worship of of the Egyptians was to be refused, but the worship of God was acceptable. If you notice, it says, This he ordained in Joseph for a testimony when he went out through the land of Egypt where... Where I heard a language that I understood not. They did not understand that language. Verse 6, we find a song of deliverance from Egyptian bondage. He says, I removed his shoulder from the burden. His hands were delivered from the pots. That means uh, this bondage that Israel was in in Egypt, that God delivered them from that. Remember, it says in Exodus 15, verse 7 and 8, it says, Then sang Moses and the children of Israel. And they said, God has redeemed us from the, brought us across the Red Sea and redeemed us from Egyptian bondage. And they, not in those exact words, but they were talking about their deliverance and singing about their deliverance. And Miriam headed up the course, by the way. And then it says in verse um, 7, Thou callest in trouble... And I delivered thee. I answered thee in the secret uh, place of thunder. I proved thee at the waters of Meribah, Selah. It comes to the end of this section of this congregational singing. Selah is a stop or a rest in music and in this psalm. Some say it means, what do you think of that? Of what God has done. And we've sung in praises of what God has done. The troubles that they had. Remember what he said? Thou callest in trouble, and I delivered thee. They were always in trouble, in bondage. I answered thee in the secret place of thunder. God sent his judgments upon Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And then when they got in the wilderness, he says, I proved thee at the waters of Meribah. That means the waters of strife. Remember what? The first thing that happened after they got out of Egypt, they began to thirst for water. And they says, 
God's brought us out into this wilderness to die. He said, better we remain in the land than to starve for thirst and for food. And they will always complain. We complain too much too, just like they did. God has been good to us. You know, if we'd look, if we'd look at our troubles, we'd have a hundred things to complain about. If we'd look at our blessings, we'd have a thousand things to rejoice in. And like I preached on Sunday, you know, we, we maximize our troubles and we minimize our blessings, which it should be the reverse, should And so God has been good to us, and we can always think of things that could be better uh, if we look at it from that standpoint. But we have to learn to, to live with what God has given us. Sometimes we have pains and aches and troubles and problems and physical needs and uh, uh, financial needs and various other needs, but we have to thank God for them and just go right on. Because uh, as I preached Sunday, Hezekiah said, these things are the life and the spirit of man. This is what makes life what it is. It's not all a bed of roses. Sometimes we have trials and troubles and tribulations, but all of it works for our good and His glory. Uh, So the next thing we see... You know, when you think of the waters of Meribah, remember that's where Moses smote the rock and the waters gushed forth back in the book of Exodus. And we could go back and make a, just a detailed Bible study of every one of these statements if you'd like, but I feel like just moving on, and most of us are familiar with the incident that took place. And I believe you find in Exodus chapter 17, verse 6 and 7, where Moses smote the rock at Meribah. And then we find, beginning with verse 8, in this congregational singing hymn, but beginning with verse 8, it's God's testimony and Israel's failures. God's testimony and Israel's failures. Now look at verse 8. He says, Hear, O my people, and I will testify unto thee. Now God says, I'm going to testify to you. And it says, O Israel, if thou wilt hearken unto me. Notice the first thing. If thou wilt hearken unto me. God wants His people to listen. And this was God's call to them to hearken or to listen to His voice. And uh, Paul quotes it in the book of Hebrews, chapter 4 and verse 7. He says, Today, if you will hear His voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation, in the day of temptation in the wilderness. When your fathers proved me, saw my works, forty years. And he goes on to say how that they uh, tested and tried the things of God. And God was calling them to listen, and they would not listen if thou wilt hearken unto me. I wonder if some of that is not our problem today. You know, we find people say, well, if I just knew what to do. Well, have you listened as to what you do? You have all the instruction in the world as to what to do, right? Uh, are you listening? Someone says, you know, this is my situation, and I don't know what to do about it. Well, the Bible says, commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. If you'll commit your works to God, he says, and thy thoughts shall be established in the book of Proverbs. That means you'll know what to do. When we're at ends and don't know what to do, all we have to do is just turn it over to God. Say, now God, I'm, I'm your servant. I want to do your work. I want to do your will. I want your guidance. And it says, guide me with thy counsel. Here's his counsel. Afterward, receive me into glory. Order my steps in, in thy word. In thy word. Let not any iniquity have dominion over me. That's another Psalm 119. So all of these things give us instructions. But we have to listen in order to get instructions. Have you ever spoken to people and you feel like they're just not listening at all? Well, sometimes God talks to us and we just don't listen. He talked to Israel and they didn't listen. In verse 9, look what happened. It says, There shall no strange God be in thee, neither shalt thou worship any strange God. 
This was a command to serve the one and only true God. He is the one and only true God. The Lord alone did lead them, and there was no strange God. Let me read in Deuteronomy 32, Deuteronomy 32 and verse 12. It says this, So the Lord alone did lead him, and there was no strange God with him. In fact, if you have that passage, uh, sometimes if you can turn quickly enough, and if not, I'll read it to you. In verse 9 it says, For the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is the lot of his inheritance. He found him in a desert land and in a waste and howling wilderness. He led him about. He instructed him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. (laughs) Look at those things. He found him. He led him. He instructed him. And he kept him. If you had that passage, you could circle the word found, led, instructed, kept. And then it says in verse 11, As an eagle stirreth up his nest, fluttereth over her young, spreadeth abroad her wings, taketh them, beareth them on her wings, so the Lord alone did lead him, and there was no strange God with him. Oh, there's so many rich things there. It says the Lord alone. So that means they were to have no other gods. Look back in her Psalm 81 and verse 9. Now then, verse 10 it says, I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. Open thy mouth wide, and I will fill it. Look at this. The God of redemption. He redeemed them out of the land of Egypt. And He promised to do great things for them. God promised to do for them great things. In Jeremiah 32, verse 17, it says, Nothing is too hard for thee. Jeremiah 33, verse 3, God says, Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and show thee great and mighty things which thou knowest not. So God is able to do exceeding above, abundantly above, all that we ask or think. And our our need is to, to trust Him. He's redeemed us, and He says, Open thy mouth wide, and I will fill it. In other words, you just give me an opportunity to satisfy your needs. God says, I, I'm ready to do that if you'll just accept them. Every good and perfect gift cometh from the Father above, from the Father of life, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. And so if we're, if we're ready to accept the blessings of God, they will come. I'm reminded of the widow's oil that she poured, um, the one that poured the oil into the vessels. Not, not the one that uh, uh, had the meal in the barrel and the oil, but the one that was left destitute. She had these sons and... Uh, she was told to go and get the uh, vessels, as many as she could find, and to said, I have nothing but this little bit of oil. And he said, said we're indebted. My sons, my husband has died. And he was a prophet of God, by the way. He says, I'm left a widow. We might say, here's a, here's a preacher's wife, left with children. Okay. And the prophet uh, told her, says, go and you get these vessels and you pour this oil that you have into these vessels. And says, you just keep on pouring and you keep on pouring. And she borrowed as many vessels. Her sons went out and they borrowed all the vessels from other people they could find, all the neighbors. They brought them in there and she poured that oil. And she was going to sell this oil and then uh, uh, live on the money that she got from it. And she kept pouring and pouring. And she poured the last vessel and, and there was no more. It says the oil stayed. Why was, why was the oil stopped? Because she ran out of vessels. She didn't have anything else to receive. You see, there was no lack in the oil. There was no lack in God's supply. Her lack was she, she run out of vessels to receive it. You and I, there's no lack in God's supply for us. We just run out of vessels. We don't have enough buckets. That's what's wrong. You just keep getting the buckets and God keeps filling them up. And uh, there's no limit. What we're trying to say is there's no limit to God's blessings. 
for us if we will accept them as He gives them to us. He says, Open thy mouth wide and I will fill it. But my people would not hearken. Look, here you have it again. But my people would not hearken to my voice and Israel would none of me. They refused to listen. They did not desire the Lord. Remember at one time they says, Up, make us gods to uh, Aaron. They wouldn't listen to, to Moses. They wouldn't listen to God. God says, Moses, I've called him up on the mountain. You wait here until, until he comes down with my instructions. And so they said, well, he's lost. He's never coming back. And they got on to Aaron and said, make us gods. So Aaron submitted. You know, that's the, the fallacy and the fault of folly of compromise. Aaron should have stayed by the stuff and says, no, Moses is up there. And when he comes back, he'll have God's instruction. Aaron, Moses' brother, the one that was his spokesman. The one that he left in charge while he's gone up on the mountain. And he didn't stay in charge, did he? He said, well, the people wanted this. Well, never mind what the people wanted. What did God want? Right? Sometimes we say, well, all the people want this. Well, if it's what God wants, it's a different story. But if it's just what people want, they can go from bad to worse. And they did, didn't they? They said, we want all the gold and the silver that we brought out of Egypt. God gave that wealth to them to provide for them. And they took it and squandered it by melting it down and making a golden calf to worship instead of God, instead of blessing God for giving them the riches. See, that's the way man perverts and, and corrupts the things. And in fact, the message was the people have corrupted themselves, right? They have made gods. And so they refused to listen and did not desire the Lord. The Bible says in Psalm 106, verse 24 and 25, that they despised the pleasant land. They believed not His Word. Even when they got over into Canaan's land, they didn't believe His Word. They didn't believe His Word in the wilderness. Look at the next verse, verse 12. It says, So I gave them up unto their own hearts. You know, if, if they will not hearken, look at verse 11 and connect it. But my people would not hearken to my voice. And Israel would none of, none of me. So I gave them up unto their own heart's lust, and they walked in their own counsels. They didn't want my counsels, and they didn't want my ways. So I gave them up to their own heart's lust, and they walked in their own counsels. They says, we know the best way for ourselves. Have you ever seen people like that? You and I get that disease once in a while. God tells us all what to do. And we say, well, no, you know, I know better what's best for me. No, you don't either. God knows what's best for you. God knows what's best for me. He knows what's best for all of us. And if we'll just listen, the best is ours. And things will be done for His glory and our good. You know, I'm amazed sometimes at how God works. He can work the most uh, difficult circumstances into the greatest blessings. And sometimes we just complain about the circumstances when we should be looking forward to the blessing He's going to bring out of it. Because He is. He's going to bring a blessing out of it. And sometimes we do not, do not understand that He's going to do exactly that. And then, so Israel in verse 12 was allowed to go their own way. Uh, so I gave them up to their own uh, heart's lust, and they walked in their own counsels. Sometimes if we want our own way, God will permit it to be that way. He'll permit you to have your way, and as a result, well, you'll have to suffer the consequences. Verse 13 Oh, that my people had hearkened unto me, and Israel had walked in my ways. I have that underlined in red in verse 13 and 14. It says, Oh, that my people had hearkened unto me, 
and Israel had walked in my ways. The blessings Israel missed because of disobedience are recorded in verses 14 through 16. God says, Oh, that my people. You know, the Lord continued to love a disobedient people. They had been disobedient. They had made gods. They had turned away from God. They would not hearken. He gave them up to their own lusts and their own counsels. They walked in their own way. And he continued to love them and said, Oh, that my people had hearkened unto me. Remember what Jesus said? He said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sinned unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, but ye would not. They wouldn't listen to Jesus. See? But ye would not. Romans 10, verse 21, Paul says, All the day long have I stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and gainsaying people, recording what he did to Israel. He says, All day long, I've stretched out my hands. I've asked for them to come to me, to a disobedient and gainsaying, and they missed the blessings because they wouldn't listen to God. Here's the first blessing that they missed in verse 14. I should have subdued their enemies and turned my hand against their adversaries. First thing was victory over their enemies. If they had listened to God, God says, if they had walked in my ways, I would have subdued their enemies and turned my hand against their adversaries. You say, sometimes you wonder why God doesn't do something for you as far as those that uh, persecute you and your enemies. See, if we walk in His ways, He says He'll take care of our enemies. I would have subdued their enemies and turned my hand against their adversaries. The Bible says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay I've had people that have ridiculed and talked about me from time to time. Not too many. I'm glad there's no, not a multiplied number of them. But I've had, you know, you have people that, that make fun of you. And they have people say, had one fellow say one time, I was out contracting, you know, and, and he said, uh, well, Brother Joyce has got made. says he makes all this money out here working, and then he goes down to church and takes up a big collection. You know what I said to him? I said, fella... And at that time, this is absolutely true. I said, you don't know, but it cost me about 50 to to $100 a week to be able to preach. It cost me that. It, I wasn't getting that. It cost me that to be able to preach to people. And that was in the days when it was all in the red. But you, you see what I'm talking about. And if it hadn't been for that, we wouldn't have been able to pay our bills for the church and so on and so forth. And I'm not complaining. I'm thanking God He brought us to it. But I'm just saying, you know, people, they don't understand. They think this is a money-making situation. All Brother Joyce had to do is come down here and bring a, a washtub or something, take all the money and go put it in the bank. It didn't work that way, friends. It didn't work that way. In fact, I had to take what I made out there and put it in the bank so that we'd pay our church payments and our bonds and stuff. Troy knows what I'm talking about. Some more people do. But anyway, what I'm saying is people misunderstand. And then all kinds of things that you'd... You'd, uh, you wouldn't believe what went on in the early years. But anyway, look at this. He says, I should have subdued their enemies and turned my hand against their adversaries. And by the way, God eventually does that if we'll stick with Him. He will subdue them. Look at verse 15. The haters of the Lord. By the way, they didn't only hate uh, God's people, but they hated the Lord. You see, what, we, what some of the enemies do, they're not only enemies of God's people, but they're God's enemies too. Did you know that? Remember Saul of Tarsus as he went about persecuting the Christians that were in the way of God? And when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus, 
the word of the Lord was to him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Well, he, Saul wasn't persecuting the Lord. He didn't think. He thought he was persecuting these people in this Christian way, so-called. The way it was called. In those, if he found any in the way. He pers- but Jesus took it as a, as a personal offense. And by the way, that's the way he takes it for you and I, too. When God brings a charge against you, it's a charge... I mean, when people bring a charge against you, it's a charge against God. They spake against Moses and against the Lord, it says. So, uh, the enemies of God will be subdued in due time. The haters of the Lord should have submitted themselves. The next thing, the submission of the enemy. Unto him, for their time should have endured forever. But their time should have endured forever. Look in verse 16. It says, um, He should have fed them also with the finest of the wheat and with the honey out of the rock should I I have satisfied them. Bread and honey and satisfaction would be theirs if they had just hearkened to God in verse 13 and walked in His ways. See, verse 13 connects you with these blessings. Victory over the enemies, submission of the enemies, continued home in the good land, endured, and then bread and honey, satisfaction would have been there. When you talk about the wheat, with the finest of wheat, what are you talking about? You're talking about bread. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He that eateth this bread shall live forever. With honey out of the rock, what is the honey? The gospel honey is from the rock, Christ Jesus. Proverbs 16, verse 24 says, Pleasant words are as an honeycomb, sweet to the soul and health to the bones. And I believe pleasant words are God's words. And what are they? They are as an honeycomb, sweet to the soul and health to the bones. Remember, it was old Samson that got honey out of the carcass of the lion. And he gave them his riddle. And of course... Finally, he was betrayed, and they figured it out. They didn't figure it out, except by his betrayal. All right, let's look at Psalm 82 quickly. It says, God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. Now, look at the word gods. God is the God of gods. Someone says, well, I thought there were no other gods. In the Bible, it says, he called them gods. In other words, there are some that are gods or rulers over all nations and people, except God is over all of us. But there are gods many, or rulers many. And a common weakness of human rulers, in verse 2, it says, How long will you judge unjustly and accept persons of the wicked? So he's talking about, He judgeth among the gods, or the rulers. And they judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked. They respect persons, and God is no respecter of persons. And earthly rulers often become proud and unreasonable. Let's read on down and see about what they do. They're supposed to defend the poor. Here's the instructions he gives them. It says, defend the poor and fatherless, do justice to the afflicted and needed. And when he speaks of gods or rulers, he says they're to defend the poor and the fatherless, and they're to do justice to the afflicted and needy. In verse 4, deliver the poor and the needy, rid them out of the hand of the wicked. In other words, God does not like the poor to be oppressed. And God makes provision for the widows and the orphans in the Old Testament. 
Remember when he gave instructions to Israel, he says, when you're in that good land and you plow your field, he says, you leave the corners for the, the, of the fields for the, the widows and the orphans to glean in the fields. When you go out and harvest, you leave part of it. And you don't go back and you get every grain of wheat and every stalk of corn. You leave part of it for the others. Remember when you used to wheat farm, if any of you have ever seen us farm wheat, and you start uh, harvesting the wheat and you come to these corners, you'll leave a strip about so wide every time you make the turn. And I've seen guys that would go back and they take that combine and they go back down and back again and, and harvest out the corners. Well, the birds have to have something to eat, and other people, other things are involved. And so uh, Israel was told to leave that part. Remember, uh, it was um, Ruth that gleaned after the harvest, wasn't she? And Boaz, typical of Christ, he says not only permit her her right to glean in the field, but uh, he said, furthermore, he said, let fall for her some handfuls on purpose. Give her some extra, besides what her is her right. In other words, he was in grace, by the way, he was in grace permitting her to do this because she was of a cursed race and she didn't really have any right except uh, by the fact that he was a gracious uh, owner and farmer. You see, there's some things under the law we don't have any right to, but under grace God gives us. The Bible says where sin abounded, uh, we don't have any right. The wages of sin is death. Grace did much more abound. We have a right through grace. But anyway, uh, let's get back to this. They were supposed to defend the poor and fatherless in verse 3 and do justice to the afflicted, deliver the poor and the needy, rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. They do not pay any attention to the God and they often become proud and unreasonable. In verse 6 now, notice what it says. I have said, ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. God says I call them gods, or rulers. Earthly rulers are often uh, spoken of as gods. They are not to be obeyed and worshipped, though. It says, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and Him only shalt thou serve. Some people bow down to earthly rulers. Some people bow down to religious rulers, too. And that's just as wrong. Don't kiss anybody's hand or feet or ring or whatever. You're not supposed to. Peter and Paul, all the apostles, John, they said, Don't bow down before us. said, I'm a man just like you are. Boy, some of those religious leaders that take all the homage today could well take some instructions, couldn't they? From Peter and Paul and John. John in the book of Revelation uh, would not permit it and was not permitted to do so before the angels even, when he would have done so. And so we find that it's not appropriate. There's only one God we're to bow down to, and only one person that we're to bow down to. I remember one time I was visiting over here in the hospital, and a man was in the hospital bed, and I walked in, and someone told him I was a preacher, you know. Well, he immediately thought I was a priest or whatever. And he jumped out of that bed. He's a sick man. Jumped out of that bed and got down on the floor and took my hand like that. And I helped him back up in the bed. And I said, you don't need to do that. And I had prayer with him. But anyway, you know, people get all kinds of ideas. This religious world is about as mixed up as the political world, isn't it? And both of them are, as far as that goes. 
But uh, the thing about it is, God called these gods or rulers, but He didn't intend for them to receive the same kind of uh, worship that He received. It says in verse 7, But ye shall die like men. Even though you're gods, you're rulers, you're going to die like men and fall like one of the princes. All human gods are subject to death. The Bible says it is appointed unto men once to die, and after this, the judgment. All of them are subject to death. And God is the final and supreme judge of all men. If you remember, you'll find that there were many gods that were permitted to die in various ways. In fact, God had a hand in bringing their uh, life to a conclusion because of their sin and their rejection of himself. Nebuchadnezzar and others. Remember that old, uh, there was one king over in uh, the book of Acts, and he made a great oration. Remember? He made a great speech, and everyone started worshiping him, and, and God smote him. And it doesn't say he died and was eaten of worms. It was, he was eaten of worms and died. See? I'd rather have it the other way around. Hadn't you? But that's, that causes death. So you find, you know, God is a God of all power. Don't ever think you can wink at and, and just uh, make up your mind that you can get by with anything with God. God is a God of uh, love and grace and holiness and righteousness and mercy, but He's a God of judgment also. He's not a lopsided. You know, we have people nowadays that preach a lopsided God. It's all love. Well, He's all love. He loved us enough to send His only begotten Son to die on the cross in order to provide salvation, redemption for us by Christ's shed blood. But He also is a God of judgment, and He says He'll judge the unbelieving, the wicked, and the unbelieving will stand before Him and all that, that whose names are not found written in the Lamb's book of life. And the book of life will be cast in the lake of fire and brimstone, which is the second death. We don't know what it will be like, but there's only two places, heaven and hell. And uh, I sure prefer the first, don't you? Psalm 83, quickly. Did we read last that? No, we didn't read the last verse. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. And by the way, that's the call for him to judge. And verse, chapter 83. Keep not thou silence, O God, hold not thy peace, and be not still. This was an appeal to the Lord to both speak and act. Sometimes do we feel like God is silent or will not do anything? The psalmist did. It was a complaint that uh, God needed to do something about his uh, enemies' conspiracies. Keep not thou silence, O God. Hold not thy peace, and be not still. For lo, thine enemies... Look at that. You see, the, the Bible is so great. Look, it doesn't say, lo, our enemies. For lo, thine enemies make a tumult. You see, God's people that have enemies... These enemies are God's enemies. And the psalmist reminds the Lord, For lo, thine enemies make a tumult, not our enemies. And they that hate thee have lifted up the head. They have taken crafty counsel against thy people. The counsel of the enemy. Crafty counsel against thy people. And consulted against thy hidden ones. They're trying to uh, consult against your own people that are yours, your special people. Verse 4, they have said, Come and let us cut them off from being a nation. The enemy aimed at the extermination of a nation, and they have been exterminated, and Israel still lives on. 
those nations that wanted Israel exterminated are gone. But Israel is still around. And they will be. They shall not cease to be. Let me read a scripture. Maybe I can find it in the book of uh, Jeremiah 31, verse 35 and 36. Jeremiah 31, verse 35 and 36. I want you to notice what it says here. It says, Thus saith the Lord, which giveth the sun for a light by day, listen carefully, and the ordinances of the moon and the stars for a light by night, God which created the sun and the moon and the stars, which divideth the sea when the waves thereof roar, the Lord of hosts is his name. If those ordinances depart from before me, if the sun quits shining and the moon and the stars fail and the, and the seas fail, and if all of creation ceases to be, it says, if these ordinances depart from before me, saith the Lord, then the seed of Israel also shall cease from being a nation before me forever. Well, I don't see all these things stop. He says all these would have to stop before the, na- the nation of Israel would cease to be. Isn't that amazing? And then it says in the, in the next verse, Thus saith the Lord, If heaven above can be measured and the foundations of theirs searched out beneath, I will also cast off all, I see, all the seed of Israel for all that they have done, saith the Lord. <coughs> they had done enough to be cast off, but he says heaven would have to cease to be. And he says if heaven ab- uh, above can be measured, if a person could measure heaven above, and the foundations of the earth be searched out, if you could find out where the foundation of this earth is, <coughs> and it has no foundation, it sits in space and revolves upon its axis, <coughs> and yet it has a solid foundation because God is the foundation thereof. He says, if you can find out all these things, then the seed of Israel is going to cease to be. I don't believe we found them out, do you? So, it's a wonderful psalm. Let's get back and try to finish this one. <coughs> it says in verse um, four, uh, 5, uh, For they have consented together with one consent, they are confederate against thee. He's telling about the nations being confederate, and they consent together. And then several verses, it names the enemies of God's people. The tabernacles of Edom, Ishmaelites, Moab, Hagarines, Gebel, Ammon, Amalek, the Philistines, with the inhabitants of Tyre, Asher is joined with them. They have hoped the children of Lot, Selah. Do unto them as unto the Midianites, as to Caesarea, to Jabin at the brook of uh, Kedron, or, or Kison, rather. Remember what happened to Caesarea? There was a nail-driving woman came in. Her name was Jael, and she let him come into the tent. And remember, this fellow deserved it. And God was using her as one of the judges. We read up in the book of the Judges. And he invited her into this tent. She invited him into this tent, a friend of hers. And they got in the tent. And he wanted some water to drink. She gave him some milk. He drank the milk. He went to sleep. And she took a tent pin or a stave, a nail about so long, and a hammer. And she drove it through his temples and fastened him to the ground. And killed him because it was a judgment of God, that's what the Bible said, upon this wicked Caesarea. And this psalmist is saying, do unto them as unto the Midianites, and as to Caesarea, uh, as Jab- to Jabin, in the book of Kishon, which perished at Endor, they became as dung for the earth, make their nobles like Oreb and like Zeb, and you can go right back and read the history of all of this, yea, all their princes as Zeba and Zalmunna who said, Let us make to ourselves houses of God in, a, in possession. 
Oh my God, make them like a wheel as stubble before the wind. Look at this. As a fire that burneth with, of wood, as a flame setteth the mountains on fire. Israel's enemies were, were named, and the revenge, the plea for revenge is at other times in the book of Judges. It says in verse 15, <coughs> So persecute them with thy tempest, and make them afraid with thy storm. Fill their faces with shame, that they may seek thy name, O Lord. Great leaders may boast, but the victory is the Lord's. Let them be confounded and troubled forever. Yea, let them be put to shame and perish. And then it says, That men may know that thou, whose name alone is Jehovah, it means uh, he who is the self-existent one, Jehovah, art the most high over all the earth, Jehovah God. 